At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. So uh, I remember it was some it was some years back, and I had the opportunity to get to know this couple. I was there as they kind of met each other and as they started dating, and they kind of liked each other, so they kept dating. and And then there was this engagement thing that happened, and they called me and they said, "Hey, Billy, we we want you to do the wedding." Like we, so, I start meeting with them over this next year, and finally the day came. He said, "I do." She said, "I do." There was the rings, the kiss. I mean, it was. It really was picture perfect. It really was just absolutely picture perfect. And I don't remember whether it was a year that went by or two years that went by, but there was a little period of time, and then I got the phone call. And it was the phone call that said, hey, we're about to sit down with both sets of parents and let them know, but we're expecting, like, we're going to have a baby. I mean, they were so excited. And so the name was picked, the nursery was prepared, the room was painted, and uh, everything was going right according to plan. And that's when I, one morning at about 1.30 in the morning, got a phone call, and uh, something had gone wrong, and we don't need to go into all the details, but they asked me to come to the hospital. She was 21 weeks early uh, when she lost her son. And so that morning, there were a lot of tears in that hospital room, a lot of praying, a lot of hugging, but it was the next week. The next week, they said, hey, Billy, we need you to come over. And so I'm sitting with them in their living room. And they just said, hey, how, how do we know? Where so-? Like, don't give us the pastor answer. We're not asking for platitudes at this point. Like, we know as a pastor, you're going to say, oh, your son is with Jesus. And like, like, okay, we get that. But how do we know? How do we know from the word of God where our child is? Like, can you walk us through that? And here's the thing, is every single one of us, whether you do what I do, for a living or not. We all need to be able to answer that question. So let's take our Bibles and open up to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you are joining us for the first time, I am not the campus pastor here. He's a totally different guy. He's bald and has a beard. Whole different guy. And uh, so Pastor John will be back, but we're in a very unique series. My name is Billy. I uh, pastor over at the Romeo campus. And uh, I actually had a chance to be here as an interim pastor. This was like five or six years. Were any of you here like five or six years ago? A few. All right. So it's been a little bit, right? It's been a little bit of time since I've been back. I walked around this morning and I'm like, man, this place is different. There used to be a balcony here. And when I was here, the kids went, it was like half painted, right? It was, it was like in the process of being painted. There was a clinic here or something at that time. Anyway, a lot of changes. A lot of changes. So it's a joy to be here with you this morning. What's going on, just in case you're wondering, is in the winter, we asked all 14 campuses for their feedback. We wanted to know if you had any questions about the church, about faith, like asking for a friend. What were those questions that you would want to know? And so across all 14 campuses, people sent in questions. And we took those questions and we looked for commonalities and we tried to narrow it down to a very small list of questions. And what we're doing, this is so unique. 
Normally at Woodside, across all 14 campuses, it's the same big idea, it's the same points, it's the same scripture across all campuses. For this three-week series, and this is the first time I know that we've done it quite like this, for this three-week series, all of our campuses were preaching something different, but in the same series. So each campus pastor was responsible for putting together a message. And so within our hub, we're kind of all, like John was over at Romeo last week. I'm here this week. So we're all just kind of rotating around a little bit, which is a lot of fun. But we're going to be tackling this very difficult topic. It's a, it's a somber question. The question we're going to be answering is what happens to babies What happens to kids? What happens to those with special needs when they pass away? How can we be certain from the word of God? So you probably know this part of King David's story. Most of you know that David, one evening, was looking out. He saw this woman taking a bath, and he was just intrigued as could be. So he got his servants together and said, go find out who this woman is. And they came back, and they said, this is Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah. Now, Uriah was one of King David's mighty men. David had these 37 mighty men. And these men, I mean, we're talking some bad dudes, some really, really bad dudes. So he had these 37 mighty men who would fight alongside him, like the stories of their battles would just circulate. But as David was with Bathsheba, she ends up pregnant. And this is a very grotesque part of David's story. But what he does is he says, well, we're gonna have to deal with Uriah now. So he takes Uriah and he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle. And he says, as he's on the front lines of battle, what we're going to do is we're going to have all the mighty men. They're all going to pull back and we're going to leave him exposed, which is exactly what happened. So Uriah ends up dying there in battle. He was was killed. So Bathsheba goes into this time of grief. She goes into this time of mourning. And then after the grief and the mourning, she marries David. Well, Nathan comes along, he challenges King David, he confronts him to hold him accountable. But again, at this point, David and Bathsheba, they're now husband and wife. And through this story, you're going to hear how she gives birth to a son, but we never get to know his name. We never get to know his name because he's sick right from the start. He ends up dying, which brings us to the big idea for the day. And that is those in Christ will go to them. Those in Christ will go to them. Now, that's a loaded statement. It's a loaded statement because it's a very biblical answer, isn't it? You see, that statement, it kind of has all of us coming together to answer this question saying, this is for followers of Jesus. This is the Christian perspective on answering this question. This is how as Christians we would answer it. Those who surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says brothers and sisters, meaning I'm not talking to the whole world. I'm not talking to everyone out there who's just living life. This is for the church. This is for Christians, brothers and sisters. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so how do you grieve? How do you process when a, when a child dies? How do you work through that? Because again, this is not just for me. This is something that all of us as the church, you need to be able to answer this question because I promise this question will come for someone that you know. So how do we deal with it? First, we recognize that our grief is personal, 
but we're not alone. Grief is personal, but you're not alone. 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 16. Scripture says this. It says, David, therefore, sought God on behalf of the child, so he's sick at this point. He sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted. And he went in, and he lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. And so the passage starts with David seeking the Lord because his child is sick. In verse 18, it says, On the seventh day, his son dies. And so what David has been doing is he's been taking all night. He was praying all through the night. Anytime it was time to eat, instead of eating, he was spending that time. He was fasting and praying during the meal time and during the time of sleep. He was spending this time just seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. You're the one. He didn't run off to all these other places that people will go to try to get answers. He went straight to the Lord. David is this man of passion. Man, you in, in good ways and bad ways, right? David was this guy of passion. You see him that so many times he's a mess, but he is a man who understands the love that the Lord has for him. Again, passion and grief, they can go to this place that's not a good place, right? Passion can be a great thing. It can be a powerful thing. It can be a beautiful thing. It can also be a really grotesque thing. Listen what it says again in verse 18. It says, the servants of David, they were afraid to tell him the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. Do you see how broken that is? They're afraid that David has been so passionate about this topic that if they tell him that this child is dead, that he's, he's going to hurt himself. You've seen people probably at that place of brokenness. You've seen people at that place of, of hurt. Maybe you've been there before where you're in that place where others are concerned about you harming yourself or you've had that same concern that someone's going to harm themselves. That's one point. But I don't want, I want you to miss the bigger point that's there. There's a much bigger point. I want you to notice the servants were with David. Oh, it was personal for him, wasn't it? His child being sick was very, very personal, but he wasn't alone. The servants never left his side. They were right there. The elders were right there with him. You see, the Lord didn't make us to walk through times of success or times of trial on our own. We're not supposed to do it on our own. We're supposed to do it with other people. Let's illustrate it this way. Soon, it's gonna be football season, y'all. It's going to be football, and I'm really fired up about football season. Like, I love me some football season, but it's not football season yet. It's still baseball season. So how many of you, you've been to see the Tigers play this year? Raise your hands. One, two, three. Baseball fans in here. Cool. That's great. Okay, I've been to see the Tigers play this year, and they won their game, right? There's six games out of first place right now. They're in third place. At least yesterday, that's where they were at. I don't know about today, but let's say, let's just imagine they flip a switch starting now. They flip, and they finish this season unlike any team has ever finished a season in baseball history. Let's say they, they just start to dominate. You know what I'm saying? Like they just are crushing everybody. They go into the playoffs and again, just annihilating everybody. And so it's October. 
They're in the World Series. Come on now. Tigers are back in the World Series. Let's say the game's in Detroit. Game four. Here it is. They're about to finish everything. They're in the last inning. Two outs, two strikes. The pitcher goes into the stretch, stares straight at the catcher, delivers a fastball. That's it. World Series champs. And then let's say the pitcher takes his glove and he turns around and he watches as everyone on the field just kind of nod their head, take their gloves, drop it on the ground, just walk towards the dugout. They just, they just walk off the field. And he turns around, looks up in the stands, and everyone just, and they're in Detroit. All right, let me take my hot dog wrapper now because we would never litter, right? And you're going to take it and you're going to drop it in the trash can and you're just going to head towards the cars. Well, that's weird, right? That's dumb. That's not what would happen. That's not what would happen at all. We know what would happen because we've seen video replays of what happened. Some of you, maybe you watched the game live last time it happened. It's been a few years now, but last time the Tigers won everything, like you got to experience that. I didn't get to experience it, but I've seen like the newspaper headlines and I've seen the replays on ESPN. Like I've seen that. I've seen that jumping around, running around. I've seen how it's just pandemonium, right? Complete celebration. We can imagine what that would be like because we don't celebrate on our own. That's weird. We celebrate together. We're made to celebrate together. The same is true for times of trial. We're meant to go through that together. That's why life groups are so important. Y'all, when you go to your life group, I hope you take snacks with you. Snacks are good as part of life group. You can take some banana pudding. Banana pudding is great for life groups. I'm just throwing that out there. It's really, really good. I'm not originally from Michigan, y'all. I'm from down south, and so banana pudding's kind of near and dear to my heart. And just so you know, this isn't a side. It's not my notes, but this is something you need to know. Banana pudding isn't made with, like, pudding that's banana flavored. That's wrong. That's not the way you do it. It's vanilla pudding, but it's got bananas and nilla wafers in it. Nilla, N-I-L-L-A, nilla wafers, right? That's a, anyway, banana pudding for your life groups is a great thing. But if that's all you're doing is eating together, that's not really a life group, is it? There should be this connection where you're growing in the Lord together, where you're studying the word of God, where you're pressing in and you're, you're being stretched and you're growing. But it's not just that. If you're just studying the Bible together, that's a Bible study. It's not really a life group. It's more than that. There should come a time where you roll up your sleeves together and you say, hey, let's go down the road and let's serve together. Man, let's work together. Let's go bless someone else Together, There's power in that, but don't miss this step. Like if you're eating pudding together and you're studying the Bible together and you're serving together, those are good things. But there's also this piece that says we are really going to do this thing together. So when you're celebrating, I'm celebrating with you. And when you're hurting, man, I'm hurting with you. And some of you, you're thinking to yourself, but I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to hurt with someone. Here's how you do it. Be there. Just be present. Notice the servants, they, they were just there with David. They were just there. So just be there. Man, sometimes being there means you just sit there and you don't even say anything. You don't need to fix it. Stop that. Don't be weird. You don't need to fix it. Just, just sit there. Just be with the person. Maybe you pray with them. Maybe you just take them some dinner and you just drop off at the front porch and you're like, I'm not going to sit there, but I'm going to remind you that you're not alone. I'm just going to leave dinner on your front porch. I'm going to get back in the car and go. Maybe, that's, maybe it's the text message you send, the Instagram messenger thing or whatever it is you send. Maybe it's just reminding them you're not alone. You're not alone in this. You see, we don't celebrate alone. We don't grieve 
alone. We know that in this life that hurts will come. And when they come, we're going to focus on the healer. We're going to focus on the healer. That's the second point. It says, but when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David says to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then a servant says to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. So again, David has been fasting. All through the night, he's been fasting. He's been praying to the Lord. You need to understand that culturally, this was upside down from the norm. The norm would have been this. The norm would have been that whenever someone dies, that's when that person who's close, you would go into this time of grief and then this time of mourning. You wouldn't have left the body. You would have stayed right there. You would have just laid on the ground. And then after two, three, four days, your family and friends would show up and they would take you. Now listen what would happen. This is after the death, days after the death. They would take you and then they would, they would get you clean clothes. You would be washed. You would have food put in front of you. All of a sudden, then you're going to have to come out of it. But do you see how backwards it is for David? He did all this before his son passed away. He did all this before his son died. After his son died, he came out of it. Can I just say, I think sometimes... We struggle as Christians when we're struggling. We do, when someone dies, we're, we're so weird about it. We are. When someone dies, when, when we have those challenges, I don't know what challenges you're facing. It could be relational tensions that you have. It could be work stuff that you're facing. It could be a life and death thing you're facing. It could be something the doctor said to you. You know, so we, we have these struggles. And here's what happens, because oftentimes people will come in, they'll sit down, they'll talk to me. And there's one of a few ways that people try to handle situations. One is to act like it doesn't exist. Like, I'm just going to act like it's not there, right? I'm just going to be like Teflon. It's just going to fall off of me. I'm nonstick. It's okay. There's nothing going on here, nothing to see. We deflect too, don't we? We'll deflect, redirect. That's when, that's when I talk with people and I know something catastrophic is going on, like something that's really brutal going on. And that's where they'll say things like, I don't know, like, hey, Pastor Billy, how's your dog doing? I hear he's sick. That's weird. Like, why are you worried about my dog? Like, of all things you could be worried about, there are bigger things in life than my dog, but they're trying to take the attention off them and put it on something else. You ever done that? You ever done that? Like, something's bothering you, but you just wanna... Other times what we do is we get very task-oriented, Right? Maybe that's you. When things get really tense, when things get really stressful, that's when you're like, I'm going to go to work and I'm just going to work through a thousand details. I'm going to get laser focused. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get real busy being real busy, like whatever it is. We have all these ways that we work through it. And yet Jesus shows us how to work through it, doesn't he? Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you're going to get alone and you're going to shut the door and you're going to pray to your father who's unseen. And you're going to say this, you're going to pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, go into your private place and shut your door 
And when you pray, you're just going to say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Sometimes that's not, it took David a week. You did see that, didn't you? It took him a week of fasting. It took him a week of no sleep. It took him a week of prayer to get to this place. It took him a while. Sometimes this is a real easy prayer in our lives. Sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes you need to be honest with God and you just need to say, God, this junk is pressing down on me. I don't like what the doctor told me. Are you kidding? Come on, Lord. I don't like, I'm trying to restore this relationship, but it's just so fractured. I don't know if it can recover. Lord, I don't know how to deal with this person dying in my life. I don't know how I'm supposed to deal with it. And so it's coming to that place of saying, Lord, I, maybe you need to just pray this. I want to want what you want. I'm just not there yet. Are your prayers that honest? Are you that honest in your prayer? Are you honest enough to come to that place of acknowledging that before God? Because David was. That's what we see with David. I mean, we started with 1 Thessalonians 4 that we don't grieve like the rest of mankind. You want to know why we don't grieve like the rest of mankind? Because we cling to the promises that we have in Christ. We spend that time in that prayer we spend that time with our door shut, praying to our Heavenly Father who's unseen. We spend that time to say, I know my eyes are going to be focused on the author and perfecter of my faith. I'm going to stay there until my eyes aren't on my situation anymore. It's not on what I'm facing. The Lord is going to be on you in the eternal promises that I have in you because I know that this is not goodbye. When our loved ones die for those with faith in Christ, this is not goodbye. This is we will see you again because our children are with the Lord. That's the third and final point today. Our children are with the Lord. Look at verse 23. David says, but now he is dead. Now he's dead, so why should I fast? Can I, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I will go to him, but he shall not return to me. How can we trust, how can we have assurance that our children are with the Lord? David just acknowledged it right here. David just acknowledged that there will come a time that I'm going to take my final breath, and when I do, I will go to my child. He will never return to me. I will have to go to him because he's with the Lord. Matthew chapter 18 and 19, Jesus says to let the children do what? Let the children come to me. He removes all barriers between him and the children. Or I love this. I love how one pastor put it. He said, while infants and children have neither sensed their personal sin and need for salvation nor placed their faith in Christ, Scripture teaches that condemnation is based on the clear rejection of God's revelation, whether general or specific not simply not being aware of it. In, in other words, there is one unforgivable sin. There's one, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's the rejection of Jesus as Lord. That, that child couldn't reject Jesus as Lord. There was no knowledge of Jesus as Lord, therefore there couldn't be a rejection of it. You see, this is based on God's grace, on his sovereign grace. Can I just tell you what we often do though? What we often do is, even being in the church today, what we'll do is we'll start to build this theological framework that says, I have to do something to get a right standing with God. I have to bring something to the, to the conversation, right? It's going to be based off my efforts and my works, but it's God's grace. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. 
and not by works so that no one can boast. We've been spending the whole time talking about kids, but I want to shift the focus to us just for a moment. I want to shift the focus to us. Because the reality is, and we know this, as I'm looking around, we're, we're not... We're not unaware of this fact that every single one of us in this room, there will come a day that we'll take our last breath here on this earth, right? That, that day will come. So then my question is, then what? Then what? Well, we know, we know Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just, I just want you to know, I know what we do. I know what we do is we think about our lives like this, right? This scale, this balance, but the, the way that we're measuring and the way that we're weighing is based off of other people down the road. That's how we do it, don't we? Come on now. We say, I know I've sinned. I just haven't sinned as bad as that guy because he's a real jerk. You know, that guy, I'm way better than he is, you know, or like you drive on the roads, right? Come on, you drive on the roads and you're like, thank you, Jesus, I'm not like that person. Honk, you know, that's what you do. Right? Or you're pulling into Walmart. By the way, your Walmart's getting redone. It's looking really nice. I like the floors in there. It's looking great. Anyway, so you, you go to pull into Walmart and someone else pulls their car and you're like, you knew I was pulling in that spot, you know, gritting your teeth. Like, Lord, God bless them. You know, that's what you do. And that's what we do. So we start to think, well, I'm not so bad because I'm better than that person. That's not how God measures us. We're measured against the backdrop of holy. That's how we're measured. The measuring stick is the perfection of holy. And so when you just imagine the widest backdrop behind you that you've ever seen, and then you just take every single sin that you or I have ever done, and you start to plaster it against holy, and we step before God as judge, we're guilty. Every single one of us, you can't wash that off. We try though, don't we? Lord, I'll be better. I'm not going to do what I did yesterday. I'm going to try better today. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church, Woodside Lapeer. Come on. You know, I'm going to, I'll even sing the songs during the hoedown music. That's what I'm going to, I'll even sing those songs. I don't know the words, but that little echoey thing, you know, that we were doing, I'm even going to do that, Lord. And so I'm, I'm going to try hard today. I might even put money on the offering box on the way out, you know. So Lord, I'm trying hard today. Yeah, it's still the backdrop of holy. You've already done it. You've already sinned. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. It's a separation, not just a physical death, but we're talking a relational, a spiritual death. It's a separation for eternity from a holy and an awesome God. That's where we stand, not because we're compared to anyone else, but because we're compared to God's standard of holy. That's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He who knew no sin, Scripture says, became sin on our behalf. I just want you to consider that. When, when I consider the weight of my own sin, the weight of my own sin, and then I start to think of all the people in this room and then all the people in this state and all the people in our nation and all the people globally, Jesus knew no sin, the perfect spotless lamb of God took on the penalty of the sin cost for the whole world. That's what Jesus did. Paul says this in Romans 10, 9, and 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I mean, maybe you've been coming to church for a little bit now. Maybe you have, and you've heard sermons kind of like this, and you've heard what it is to follow Jesus, but maybe you've just never taken a step. For whatever reason, you just haven't. You've never taken that step of faith. And my encouragement to you is don't, don't leave today without doing that. You can talk to an elder. You can talk to a leader. You can talk to, to me. You know you don't need us, though. You don't need us for this. You know, right where you are, you can just do this right now. Like, you, you can stop listening to the sermon. It's okay just to turn your ears off for a moment and it just to be between you and the Lord. That really is okay. I'm totally okay if you just ignore me. I am okay with that. And just between you and the Lord, just say, God, I believe. I believe you love me. God, I know I've sinned. I know I have. And I know my sin's not just a little bit of sin. I know compared to holy, like I have sinned, I get it. But I know that's what Jesus came. He lived that perfect and sinless life. And I'm placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord over all creation. You are Lord over my life. I'm surrendering everything to you. You can do that right here, right now. If you need help, we'd love to pray with you. We would. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Regardless, if you make that decision, let us know. Because we want to link arms with you and talk to you about those next steps in your faith journey. But for everyone else, I just want to say that I, I recognize that today's topic for you has been a brutal one. I just, I just want to acknowledge that. In fact, some of you, right whenever I started the introduction this morning, you kind of considered, uh, I don't know if I want to listen to this today. I don't know if my heart can handle it. It's not that I hate Billy's guts. He looks kind of like our other pastor, you know, so that's, that's fine. But I just, don't, I just don't know if I can do it. And the anxiety started a little bit. And you thought, I know some time has passed since then. I know some time has passed, but man, it doesn't. See, time doesn't heal. Let me just say that. Time doesn't heal. Time's a vacuum. That's what you do with that time that heals. And maybe for some of you, you kind of put all this to bed and you thought, I'll deal with it later. And every now and then that grief will hit, won't it? That grief, it's just like a wave hitting you in the face. And so I just want to recognize that I know that today's topic for some of you is the worst of topics. And for some of you, this topic isn't that big of a deal because you haven't been confronted with this. You know people who have been, but you personally haven't experienced it, but you've got other things that are weighing you down. Just want to encourage you, remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, our hope, our comfort, our rest, our now, our eternity is in Christ. Lord, we, um, we're grateful for you inviting us to this place. And Lord, again, I know that this topic is a, such a challenging topic for some in our church family. It's one that stirs a very unique emotion that just feels like our guts are being ripped out. Lord, success, grief, pain, these things are very personal to us. Yet we thank you for the reminder that it's not done alone. We're never meant to do this alone.
You're the one who continues to hold us. You are the strong tower and the refuge, the hiding place and the hope. You are the comforter. You are the one who says that your burden is light. So Lord, those things that we're carrying that we're not supposed to be carrying, I pray for the courage for my brothers and sisters just to lay it down at your feet today. And for those who maybe they've never surrendered to your lordship, that today, today's the day that they throw open their arms and they say, I believe. Lord, I pray for this church family that you continue to show us more and more what it is to live as brothers and sisters. That we don't come to this place as spectators, that we don't come watching church, Lord, but we truly engage in what it is to be church family together. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, for the hope that we have in Christ, for the reminder that death, death is not the end though we don't grieve like the rest of mankind, Lord, because we know that there is a hope and a future for a reunion. Lord, that's what David had. He recognized that there would be a reunion with his son one day. The same is true for all of us who surrendered our lives to Jesus as Lord. Through faith in Christ, we know that death doesn't hold the victory, but you do. So Lord, give us a confident assurance today in who you are, and in your work. And Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.